Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Visitor's Bullpen. I'm Matt Wyrick alongside Kevin Haswell. The wild card games are in the books. We've got the Diamondbacks and Yankees moving on to the ALDS and NLDS to face the number one seeds. Some already exciting games, ton of offense, starting pitchers lasting two innings or less. Kevin, what's your take on these crazy wild card games? Uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, uh, between the two games, they had two, uh, three two run home runs in the first innings of the games. Uh, lots we uh, talked about earlier this season the home runs being a huge part of this season in Major League Baseball, and it's it's rolling over to the playoffs. You know, you see, you see a ton of home runs in the two games so far. Um, but I'm excited for tonight. You know, we got the Red Sox and the Astros, the Yankees, Indians. A lot of good pitching matchups. Um, I'm sure we'll dive into this later, but Chris Sale versus Justin Verlander, uh, experience versus inexperience, uh, two great pitchers is going to be awesome. And then Sonny Gray with Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer has actually been one of the best pitchers in the second half in Major League Baseball, a 10-2 record with a 3.01 ERA in the second half. Uh, so, so great baseball tonight. I'm excited. Yeah, Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray doesn't really pop off the page as a pitching matchup like Sale and Verlander does, but... It's going to be an intriguing one, and it's an interesting move that Terry Francona is doing, saving Corey Kluber for Game 2. Um, we'll have to see how that plays out. That way you can have him on regular four days rest on Game 5. And Game 5, and they can maybe pitch him in Game 1 of the ALCS. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're kind of banking on winning this series by moving Kluber back a day. But um, we'll, see we'll see how see. it happens. It's going to be definitely both fun series. There's some good offenses with a lot of young players. That's kind of the theme. Of this season, I mean, you look at the Astros, Yankees, Indians, they've all got pretty young cores of players. So overall, some exciting stuff. But before we jump into playoffs, we wanted to take the time now to, we've kind of alluded to this throughout the season on several of our different uh, podcasts, but we're now finally going to make our picks for MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, and Manager of the Year. Um, we've had some debates about this, but, you know, we were like, ah, oh, it's premature. Oh, it's, you know, not time yet, but overall it's now time to make these picks. And so we'll start with the NL MVP race. Uh, Kevin, a lot, it's so wide open right now. Who is your pick? I got Nolan Arenado. Um, I think even with the Rockies losing last night, uh, I know the playoffs really doesn't matter. It's more a regular season award. He actually has the advantage over Goldschmidt in hits Doubles, home runs, RBIs, uh, less strikeouts, higher average, higher slugging percentage, and a slightly less OPS. But Nolan Arenado, what he brings defensively, he brings more on the defensive side than Paul Goldschmidt does playing first base. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with Nolan Arenado with my pick. We, we had that Arenado-Blackman debate um, a couple weeks ago, and it we went back and forth on it. I think both were great candidates, but... I'm I'm not I'm a believer in that your team doesn't have to be great for you to win MVP. Um, John Carlos Stanton had a great season, 59 home runs, 132 RBIs. He had led the league with a 631 slugging percentage, but yet he was outplayed by one player, and that's Joey Votto, first baseman of the Cincinnati Reds. Votto, 162 games this year, played every single one. Still 36 home runs, led the league in walks, had a 454 on base percentage, hit 320 while Stanton hit to only 281. I think a lot of people are looking at this MVP race and knocking off both Votto and Goldschmidt simply because they weren't on playoff teams. Uh, or sorry, yeah, Stanton, not Goldschmidt, because they weren't on playoff teams, which is leaving you with great players in Arenado, Goldschmidt, uh, Chris Bryant, Blackman, Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper. But 
at the end of the day, the two best players in the NL this season were Joey Votto and Giancarlo Stanton. And between Votto's consistency, staying on the field, with his low strikeout percentage, high on base, he led the league in OPS, um, still adequate first baseman. I think overall he was the best player. Yeah, you know, they're always. Gonna, I think the writers at the end of the day, they're always going to penalize the player for not making the playoffs. So when I go with my predictions, it's who I actually think will win the award. I do agree that maybe Stanton or Bada is more deserving of the award as the best player in the National League if you want to look at the award that way. But, you know, usually with the award, you usually see a, a player that um, a player that was on a winning team win the award. So they do get penalized by the writers year after year, and I think this year is the same. But you're right, Stanton and Votto have had better years than Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, but again, didn't make the playoffs, so they're going to get penalized in the end. I think the biggest thing here is, I mean, Arenado and Goldschmidt are on the wild card teams. So even even looking, you know, why aren't we looking at teams like the Nats, the Cubs, and the Dodgers more? You know, if they won their divisions, that's really where the value was. So that's where I think there's a big flaw in the argument of you have to make the postseason in order to you know, be a valuable player because these the players that these same analysts are looking at were on the fringe teams. They they didn't win their divisions. I mean, I'm not. That's not to knock what the Rockies or the Diamondbacks did. They were both great teams, um, and almost almost ran away with the wild card. Um, the Brewers made it a little bit interesting, but overall, they still made the playoffs at the end of the day. But you know, these weren't the standalone you know best teams out there. Like with last year, it was Chris Bryant, best player on the best team. That's why he won the um, MVP. But I don't know. I just think that's a flawed argument, and it's important to look at players that aren't on playoff teams because those players still provide value. See, I understand knocking the Rockies, but I don't know if you can really knock the fact that the, the Arizona Diamondbacks win the wild card. I mean, they won 93 games. They actually ended up with a better record than the Chicago Cubs, and I don't think you should knock them for – playing in the one of the strongest division in the strongest division in baseball. So um yes, they were a wild card team, but they won ninety three games and Paul Goldschmidt was a huge reason why and I think the Raiders are gonna take that into effect. But in the end I think Arenado wins it. Um you can knock the Rockies a little bit. They only won eighty seven games, only won the wild card race by one game of the Brewers who were kinda on and off all year, um always in the race. But uh yeah, don't knock the the Diamondbacks for only being a wild card team. They won ninety three games. Better than the Cubs, record-wise. I mean, that's oh, something no. that... We'll find that as the uh, show goes on today, um, I'm definitely not low on the Diamondbacks. But just in terms of how the writers perceive the MVP race. Switching over to the AL, though, um, it was pretty much a two-man race between Jose Altuve and Aaron Judge. And I actually went into today thinking that Jose Altuve was my pick. But after diving a little bit more into the numbers, I just have to go with Aaron Judge. I mean, that second beginning of the second half... The slide, it, w- it was pretty big, not going to lie. And uh, it took him out of that conversation. It seemed like Jose Altuve was going to run away with it. And then he had that crazy month of September, hitting 15 home runs, finished with 52 on the year, um, still hit 284, best Altuve in both on base percentage and slugging percentage as a higher OPS. Um, did have 208 strikeouts, which led the American League, but at the same time uh, also led the American League in walks and runs scored, 150 hits, 24 doubles. Overall, I mean, what an incredible season for a player who didn't even know if he was going to have a spot on the opening day roster. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I'm going to go with Judge as well. Um, I just wanted to jump into his September numbers, uh, 463 on base in September, 
311 average, 15 home runs, 32 RBIs, and a 1352 OPS. Those numbers are just through the roof insane. Um, and, at, and at the end of the day, Judge uh, has the edge over Altuve in, in most major categories, including uh, runs, home runs, RBIs, uh, OPS, on-base percentage, and slugging, and walks. I mean, at the end of the day, Judge was the better player in the American League. And I think he was a huge reason why the Yankees are where they're at right now, uh, hitting the middle of that lineup. Whereas if you take Altuve away from the Astros, I don't know if it hurts as much as taking the judge away from the Yankees. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from, from Altuve. A great year, um, especially considering he's only five foot, what, five foot six. Mm-hmm. He has a 958 OPS, uh, 411 on base, a 346 average, which it seems he's going to be like the batting champ in the American League for years to come. Um, so... I don't want to knock Jose Altuve, but Aaron Judge was definitely the most valuable player in the American League this year, um, and it shows. Yeah, no. I mean, Altuve has been the model of consistency over the past few years. I mean, he's had at least 200 hits in four straight seasons now. That's absolutely insane. He's won a gold glove, probably going to win his fourth straight silver slugger. He finished top three in MVP voting last year. He'll finish top two this year. Um, but his time will come to win an MVP, but this season belongs to Aaron Judge. I mean, you just look at the high, uh, the headlines all through the season. I mean, it's all been about Judge, and to think that the writers won't, you know, hop on that train and give him the votes he deserves. He, I mean, it's just incredible to look at what he's done in such a short amount of time to just come onto the scene and just dominate from the get go. Um, it's been absolutely insane to watch. And to be able to see it in the playoffs now, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I mean, he, he earned it in September. If you really look back, he had uh, 27 home runs through June, uh, playing terrific baseball, and then hit 230 in July, hit 185 in August, um, and then he kind of fell off the table and everyone was thinking, can Aaron Judge even win Rookie of the Year? But then you look at September, 15 home runs. He, he bounced back, he adjusted, um, and it – he won his. He won the award in September, which um, you can't say the same for Paul Goldschmidt didn't hit as well in September. I think that's why Arenado ends up winning the National League. But man, Aaron Judge bounced back. Um, that's it, it. Just amazed me how he hit in September. Yeah, that's not to knock some other players that should be in this conversation as well. Jose Ramirez had a great season for Cleveland, led the league in doubles, hit three eighteen, had an OPS nine fifty seven. Overall, great player. Mike Trout. Missed a lot of time, but still managed to finish top five in war, which is just insane. 187 OPS plus. He led the American League in both on-base percentage and slugging percentage. So great player. Just didn't play enough games to qualify last this year. I picked him ahead of the season as my uh, MVP for the American League, um, and I picked him last year to win it as well, which he did. Um, and I think it was very well-deserved last year. He just played more games, and that's really what it came down to for me. I think if Mike Trout plays 150 games this year, we're not even talking about Aaron Judge as a contender. For, or well, he's still a contender, but I think Mike Trout, hands down, wins MVP. Um, his model of consistency throughout every year is just amazing. And what he can do defensively and, you know, running the base a little bit more um, is something that amazes me day to day. But it's unfortunate he got injured this year. So First uh, time hitting the disabled list yeah. in his career. It's hard to, you know, knock him for that. He'll have one down year. Yeah. I put that in air quotes. Um, because it's not really a down year for him. It's just less games played. But 
overall. Um, American League's got some great offensive talent, and Trout's at the forefront of that. So, I mean, this is going to be the first time uh, he's played a full season and won't finish top two in MVP voting, which is just crazy to think about. But he'll probably finish top five. So that's still an incredible career. Yeah, we also can't knock him. I mean, he only played 114 games, but 187 uh, OPS plus, which is the highest of his career, Uh, 1,071 OPS, 442 on base, which is insane. Uh, 306 batting average. He, he's, I mean... He keeps getting better. <laughs> I know. And, and 33 home runs in only 114 games. It, it would have been amazing to see what he could have done over a, a full season, but um, I guess we'll we'll find out next year. Yeah, and hopefully the uh, Angels can give him some kind of supporting cast to uh, jump back in that race. I mean, with how weak the American League wildcard race was, you would think that the Angels don't need to get much better in order to start competing. So, you know, maybe one or two offseason moves and they could actually be back in that playoff picture. Uh, so we'll now go over to the Cy Young. We'll go back to the NL. And um, Kevin and I have gone back and forth throughout the season about this, obviously because uh, one of the best players in, in baseball is on the Nats. And uh, Kevin's going to have a problem with that no matter who it is. But Max Scherzer is my runaway NL Cy Young winner. Um, if you look at baseball references war rankings, one, two, three is Max Scherzer, Gio Gonzalez, Steven Strasburg. Kershaw sits at sixth. So um, that 175 ERA plus, 200 innings, uh, two, led the league in strikeouts, had a 178 batting average against, which is just absolutely insane to think about. That is far and away the best in baseball, the closest being 193 from Corey Kluber and then 199 from Robbie Ray. But overall, Scherzer dominated like no other. I had the opportunity to watch him pitch uh, day in and day out. He led the league in complete games, um, had 16 wins. Just just absolutely fantastic season and absolutely deserving of his second straight Cy Young. Yeah, uh, I mean, I argued this a month and a half ago with Kershaw over Scherzer. But when it really comes down to the numbers, Scherzer threw 25 more innings than him. Had 66 more strikeouts on the season, so it's it. I mean, it's hard to argue uh, against Max Scherzer. I would. I think the writers are going to vote him uh, the AL Cy Young or the NL Cy Young. I mean, 268 strikeouts in 200 innings, uh, insane. 16 and six record, 2.51 ERA. Can't argue with those numbers. Sounds like a Cy Young to me. Yeah, and I think <laughs> you're going to laugh at me, but does this now two straight Cy Youngs? something that hasn't been done since Kershaw last did it. Does this make Scherzer the best pitcher in baseball? We'll save that for another day because I could go on for 20 minutes on how you're wrong. But I, I think it's a valid question. I think Honestly, the better question is, is Clayton Kershaw the best pitcher of all time? But he, he's, you know, he's had a couple of down years lately. You never know. Down, down years, years by his standard. By his standard. I know, let's, I know. Let's think you love this stuff. Just said. He has lowered his ERA. In each of the last nine season, nine seasons, and his career ERA is two point three six. I don't know how you can argue that he's having these bad years. Um, okay, listen, this year two point three one ERA, eighteen and four record, one hundred eighty one innings pitched, two hundred two strikeouts, or no, one hundred seventy five innings and two hundred two strikeouts. I, I, if that's a down year, I want to, I want to be Clayton Kershaw. Well, everyone wants to be Clayton Kershaw because that's that is a Clayton Kershaw down year solely because he hasn't pitched two hundred innings since twenty fifteen. You know, having to remain healthy is part of being the best pitcher in the game. It would be like two years ago saying Troy Tulowitzki was the best shortstop in baseball. You know, he had the tools, and when he was on the field, he was easily probably the best. But the guy would only play 50, 60, 100 games a season. Yeah, but we're not talking about someone 
that had a ridiculous amount of less starts. He had 27 starts this year compared to Scherzer's 31. There's not much of a difference there. And you look at the ERA, 231, and, and Scherzer also benefits in the innings pitch because Dusty Baker overpitches all of his pitchers. So he's throwing Scherzer out there, whereas the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, is a little more careful with the injury history with Kershaw. So I, I, don't, I understand what you're saying, but it really doesn't apply to this situation. He only had four less starts. In the grand scheme of things, that's basically a couple of minor injuries, a couple of day-to-days, maybe a blister. I know that wasn't the case, but for most pitchers, four less starts, that's the that's the scenario. So, can't knock him for not pitching when he's through 27 starts. We'll save that the rest of that debate for another day. But that definitely will be an, a fun off-season uh, topic to go over. But it's food for thought, you know, so think about it. Um, so yeah, Scherzer run away in the American League. I think Strasburg and Gio Gonzalez deserve some recognition as well. They both had great years. Strasburg was probably the best pitcher in the second half. Um, had an absolutely, I think it was a .87 ERA in September. I mean, also don't don't knock Zach Greinke and Alex Wood. I mean, Alex Wood, sixteen and three, two point seven two ERA. Um, I mean, he didn't pitch as many innings as they probably needed him to be in the conversation, but then. You also look at Zach Greinke, another bounce back year, 200 innings pitch, 215 strikeouts, 17-7 record, a 3.2 ERA. Like, those guys can't be forgotten. I know you're going to mention all the Nats pitchers because you cover the Nats, but... Robbie Ray forget. as well. Yes, Robbie Ray, but again, the innings pitch only 162, just like Wood, 152. Mm-hmm. You got you to throw closer to 200 innings to be in the conversation. But I hear you. In the American League, I feel like it's just as clear that Corey Kluber is the winner. Uh, Chris Sale had 300 strikeouts, and not to knock that um, in any way, but Kershaw, I mean, sorry, Kluber's strikeout rate was 34%, Chris Sale's was 36 um, Not much of a difference there. Uh, Kluber had a better walk rate. He allowed less home runs, overall less doubles, and um, a little more stolen bases, but that 193 batting average against, like I said, um, second best in baseball. Uh, an 8.0 ba- baseball reference war. Sale had a 6. Um, you can throw Verlander into that conversation as well um, through 200 innings. Had a good year. Um, 3.36 ERA, that was a little concerning. But I think this is runaway Corey Kluber. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look at, like, you just mentioned some of the numbers, but only 13 or 11 less innings than Chris Sale, who actually led Major League Baseball in innings, especially 214 and a third innings. Um, 265 strikeouts in 203 innings. Very similar numbers to uh, Max Scherzer in that department. And you know the thing that hurts um, the thing that hurts Chris Sale down the stretch is, is how he pitched in the second half. Uh, he really didn't pitch that well. Uh, 86 innings pitched in the second half and like a 3.12 ERA compared to 2.75 in the first half. So. I think it's it's no question going to be Corey Kluber. Chris Sale had the early edge, but Kluber has just been unstoppable in the second half. So, yeah, no, I mean Chris Sale's ERA almost got up to three uh, after that in crazy first half. It's now a two nine zero to finish the year, um, but he did have a three hundred BABIP while Kluber had a two sixty eight. So there you do put some luck into there um, as to Kluber, you know, having that edge a little bit. But, I mean, just the sheer domination. Kluber had five complete games this year, which tied Irvin Santana, somehow Irvin Santana, um, for the Major League lead. Um, Three of those were shutouts. Um, Like I said, 18 wins, only four losses. This is a guy that 
you know, it has been leaned on. He's won uh, Cy Young before, uh, absolute number one starter in that conversation, I think, alongside Scherzer um, for possibly usurping Clayton Kershaw as the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, Kluber has been good um, day in, day out. I remember when him and Keuchel um, won back-to-back Cy Youngs, I said only one of them is going to pan out. And Keuchel's been a good pitcher, but he's had some injury troubles and had a down year last year, while Kluber has been a uh, model of consistency. So just a great season for him, absolutely deserving of Cy Young. And I just want to say his strikeout-to-walk ratio, 7.4, which led baseball. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so the, the month that it really uh, – that – sorry. The month where it really pulled away for Kluber was in August where he posted a 1.96 ERA, a 5-1 record with uh, 46 innings pitched compared to Chris Sale in August who had a 4.38 ERA and a 2-2 two and two record and only pitched 37 innings. Um, he, Kluber really separated himself going into August. It was really a really close race, but I think August and September included, uh, Kluber really pulled ahead as the, as the top pitcher in the American League and should win the Cy Young Award. Absolutely. Well, we won't spend too much time on the Rookie of the Year races because they've been set since basically May. I mean, Cody Bellinger and Aaron Judge are going to be the respective Rookie of the Year winners. Bellinger, we didn't really talk about much in the MVP conversation. Um, didn't have as great a year as Judge. Hit 39 home runs, uh, 267 batting average, 26 doubles. But, you know, to be compared to Aaron Judge, it's not going to put really anyone in a good light. But Bellinger has had an absolutely great year. Um, knocking him as he only played 132 games. But having to get called up a month into the season and, um, you know, was only supposed to fill in for Adrian Gonzalez and took that spot and ran with it. Uh, He's had a great year. And like we said with Judge, both of them just absolute fantastic baseball players and um, just a lot of – there's a bright future for baseball with them, you know, leading the way. Yeah, I mean, if if Aaron Judge didn't have this terrific of a season uh, with the 52 home runs, there would be more storylines than Cody Ballinger. I mean, 39 home runs as a rookie – it's nothing to sleep on. I mean, 97 RBIs, uh, 581 slugging, and 933 OPS, including a 142 OPS plus. Those those numbers are just mind-boggling for a rookie, um, including the 39 home runs in only 132 games. And he probably, if he plays a full season, uh, closer to like 45 home runs. So uh, I think people kind of slept on Cody Ballinger all year with the Aaron Judge talk and everything, but he he's up there with just has uh, he's in the conversation with one of the best rookies in baseball right now. So I think it's all, like Matt said, it's not much to talk about here. Cody Bellinger is going to be the NL rookie of the year and Aaron Judge is going to be the AL rookie of the year. But um, I think more people need to open their eyes to what Cody Bellinger did this year. Yeah. A couple guys that, you know, will get lost in the shuffle after them too. Paul DeJong uh, for St. Louis had a great season. Uh, 2.7 war, which was second among NL rookies. Then Reese Hoskins, of course, who had that home run tear, finished 18 homers in only 50 games, which is just crazy to think about. And Ian Happ of the Cubs um, had a lot of strikeouts and only hit 253, but overall, strong rookie year for him. As for the American League, you had Matt Chapman for Oakland, uh, Mitch Hanniger for Seattle, and Matt Olson for Oakland as well. Um, the the A's look like they're in good uh, good spot offensively at least for the future um, with some of these young guys coming up. But 
Uh, oh, they just didn't play enough games, and Aaron Judge was just too good. Um, I mean, we're, we're talking about him in the rookie, the MVP conversation, so um, kind of hard for anybody else to really break that conversation. Trey Mancini on Baltimore as well um, should be included here, but overall, it's Judge and Bellinger and everybody else. So um, it's been a great season for young players, but them too, they just did dominate the headlines all year. Yeah, it's... Yeah, not much to say. I think we should move on to the uh, manager of the year. Exactly. What we were going to go to next, manager of the year. It's a kind of a fickle conversation to me um, because there's so many things that, you know, come into play with manager of the year, where the team finishes, where they came from, how what he was given um, with the GM and how he, things went down the stretch. Now, there weren't very many close races, especially at the end. Um, we weren't really holding our breath for a game 163, but uh, overall, and we'll start with the American League, Paul Molitor, the Twins, is my pick. Uh, 103 losses last year, going to 85 wins this year, making the wild card game. Just absolutely incredible to see the Twins have such a turnaround, a roster full of players that most fans haven't even heard of. Irvin Santana having a career year um, under his guide, so I think Molitor... Already a Hall of Famer for what he's done on the field, but now that he's in the dugout, I think he's carrying on that you know Hall of Fame swagger. Yeah, I definitely think the writers are gonna are gonna vote for Molitor to win this award. Um, I think it's hands down. A team goes from what? Would you say fifty nine wins? Yeah, one hundred and three losses to to all the way up to um, eighty five wins this year. I mean, what a turnaround! Uh, definitely an exciting team. They were they were so close to being the Yankees in that. Not wild card game, um, got getting up early, but I, I wouldn't sleep on Joe Girardi either. Uh, he's had a great year. The Yankees improved by seven wins this year, making the playoffs, and you know they weren't expecting that this year. I mean, they got more out of Aaron Judge than they thought they would, and some other players. So, you know, this roster has really flipped over, and they're in a new age. And Joe Girardi's a big reason why they're in the playoffs this year. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on them if I was the if I was the Indians. Yeah, especially. Um, with how they were only they were in a rebuild last year and to exactly. be able to turn things around. Well, quote-unquote rebuild. Yes, yeah, so it was a mini-rebuild, exactly. really. Uh, just dumping, More of a revamp. Exactly. Dumping those players that were close to free agency um, so they could load up on prospects, capitalizing on the right time, and they still got Earl Chapman back. So um, executed perfectly by yeah, Brian actually, Cashman. He did. I want to give him credit on the uh, Rolls Chapman situation. He did handle that to perfection this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't pitching very well. Demoted him, uh, and then brought him back up. And he, you know, he turned it around in the second half. So yes, it's it's been Girardi is a classic manager. Runs things the right way, and you got to respect him for the way he does things. But I do want to one other point about the Twins is that you know they were sellers at the trade deadline this year which is just absolutely crazy to think about. They sold to the Yankees. They, <laughs> to um, the team that knocked them out. The team that knocked them out. So luckily they didn't have to face the pitcher that knocked that they traded. But um, overall, it, it's what just... Is, that would have been the storyline. That would have, yeah. Coming in for the save Jaime or something. Garcia has one start for the Twins. Goes to the Yankees and then beats them in the wild card game. Just crazy. But overall, um, great seasons by both teams, I think. Twins overachieved, and while it's, it hurts for their fan base to lose to, in the wild card game this year, they're, this season bodes so well for the future uh, down the line. They've got a young, um, a lot of young talent, Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano, Sano who couldn't even play in that wild card game. Um, bodes well for the future, 
and they're in good shape. So while it hurts for, you know, Twins to lose now, I think that they shouldn't be worried down the line. Now, in the National League, um, I'm sticking with a wild card team, and that's the Diamondbacks manager, Tori Lavulo. Um, had a great year. Um, I'd say, by all accounts, the Diamondbacks overachieved. I actually just quote tweeted, I picked, uh, I did my division picks before the season started, and I picked all six division winners right. Um, but the, in the two wild card teams, the only two teams that I didn't pick were the Diamondbacks and the Twins. Um, and you know who did pick them to make the playoffs? And it's been kind of crazy to see just the turnaround that the Diamondbacks has, have had because they just cleaned house all their management, um, had a different manager last year um, in Chip Hale, and now Zach Greinke had a bad year. You know they only won they won sixty nine games last year, seventy nine the year before that. The last time they won ninety games was twenty eleven. So for them to come out and win ninety three this year. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, I'm going to go different in the National League. I'm going to go with Dave Roberts. Uh, I don't know. They won 104 games. Uh, they, they went on a ridiculous pace for about, what, 65 games there. Uh, where they, only lost, they lost less than 10 games over that stretch. So I'm going to go with Dave Roberts. Um, but, I, but I understand where you're going. I also uh, don't sleep on um, – I've been saying sleep a lot this episode. <laughs> don't sleep on Bud Black. Uh, he had a great year getting that – getting the Rockies back in the playoffs. Um, but it was awesome to see in the National League two two different teams that weren't in the playoffs last year make the playoffs this year. So uh, kudos to those managers. But I just – Dave Roberts is – I think the one thing that hurts Roberts is that he won it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of writers will be hesitant to you know give him that two years in a row when, it, like I said, it's such a fickle award that overall it's just um, – it's hard to you know attribute it all to the manager when you, you look at the Dodgers um, roster and it's hard to find a hole you know when you're talking about the Diamondbacks or the Twins there's so many things that could have gone wrong for the team and didn't and I think that's where the manager comes in and um, really steers the ship so that's why I'm giving it to uh, Lavulo. Yeah, definitely. A, a, it's gonna be exciting for. To see these decisions come out. But we do have some Twitter questions we wanted to get to uh, before the end of the episode. The first one, has the bullpenning of every game ruined the flow of the game? Matt, what do you think? I would say no, um, but only because I've never been, um, pace of play has never really, you know, been a huge issue for me. I don't think that there's a problem with, you know, the breaks and stuff um, overall, but it doesn't, I don't think... I think you you have to look at baseball from an analytical perspective and, you know, what are you going to tell these managers not to do it? Are you going to say you can't, you know, make all these bullpen moves? You can't pull your pitcher after two innings when they just gave up five runs? I mean, that to me just kind of says, like, you know, get over it almost. It's it's part of baseball and I wouldn't want them changing that for in the for anything. Yeah, I mean, I think if you really appreciate where baseball is going um, with the more strategic route with using these relievers, um, then I, it might hurt the flow of the game, might slow down the game, uh, most definitely does. But I don't think it hurts the game. I think if you really enjoy the game of baseball, you really understand what they're doing with the strategy and everything and bringing these relievers in, um, then I don't think it really, really ruins the game. 
Um, it just slows it down a little bit. So we'll get to our second question. Uh, has to do with the bullpens as well. Uh, Blake Pace on Twitter asks, does the Yankees' ability to go to the pen for an entire game translate well against Cleveland, or did it just work out against the lesser Twins? Um, I mean, I think the, the Yankees' bullpen, it's not something you should do every day. Um, it, they have one of the best bullpens, not the, the best bullpen in baseball. But at the same time, you know, you're going to exhaust all those arms. I don't think having, like, it's not plan A to have your starter go, you know, an inning and a third or whatever it was. Or did he even finish the first inning? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. He won a third of the inning yeah. and the Yankees went eight and two thirds with their bullpen. Exactly. So a third of the, a third of, no one thought Severino was only going to get one out. Um, and that's some people, Brian Kenny. Um, MLB network analyst was actually saying they should pitch a bullpen game and not have a starter go out there um, to save San Marino for the uh, ALDS. But at the same time, I think that they made a right decision going with a starter um, and try and get as many innings out of him as possible and then going to the bullpen. I mean, sure, with how weak the back end of the Yankees rotation is, you're probably going to have to lean more on your bullpen, um, which there in itself is saying, you know, you don't want to burn everybody before you get to those guys or else you're going to run out of gas midway through the series. Um, so I think that leaning on the bullpen to an extent is good, but you, you don't want to start a game with relievers. I mean, getting three plus innings out of David Robertson was not part of the plan for New York. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of, Lucky in the way that the Yankees got through that game, eight two thirds through their bullpen. That's a really tough thing to do, and I don't think it lasts. I don't think it's very sustainable. Um, might happen in one wild card game, but I don't think it's something they can bring into the Cleveland series and say, "Hey, if a starter struggling early, we're going to go to our bullpen." Because if they do that in game one, it's really going to hurt them the next four games if it goes five games. So um, it's not sustainable. But with with the talent that the Yankees have in their bullpen, uh, it worked. Yep, so thank you all for submitting uh, questions yeah, on Twitter. Thank you, uh, Blake Pace and Vance Boxnot. Uh, thanks for the questions, and we, we always appreciate them. Yeah, if you ever, other listeners want to send us some questions, you can find us on Twitter at Visitors Bullpen. We have a Facebook page as well. Um, in a, the next two months, we'll be switching over to the Pure Sports Network um, Twitter account there, so you'll have to follow up there in a few months. But for now, uh, just use Visitors Bullpen account and We'll get to those questions midway through the show. Um, now we've gotten regular season. It's officially, we talked about all the awards. It's in the books. We're now focused solely on the postseason. Have had the wild card game, so we know exactly what these L- LDS matchups are going to be. We already made our picks last week, but um, we've got some intriguing um, matchups, and we'll start with the American League ones that are starting today. Like we mentioned before, it's going to be Sale and uh, Sale and Verlander. For Red Sox Astros and Gray Bauer for Yankees Indians, um, you sticking with your pick for the Red Sox? Yeah, I uh, I like the, the the rotation they have. I like Sale going into that game uh, seventeen and eight, and you know Sale going up against Verlander. That means that the Astros basically burned Verlander because I think the Red Sox go into go in at four o'clock today and they and they get the win. Um, but you know Sale's been insane this year. Like I said, seventeen and eight record. Uh, uh, ERA below three, and then you know the other series is is going to be great too. The Yankees Indians, uh, like we talked about earlier, Sonny Gray versus Trevor Bauer. I'm really interested to see uh, how Trevor Bauer pitches because you know I was listening to an interview with him uh, earlier about earlier in the season, 
And when he wasn't pitching well, he, he said he hated the game of baseball. He said coming to the ballpark every day was just not fun. He didn't want to play the game of baseball anymore. And then, you know, in the second half, he turns around 10-2 and two record, 3.01 ERA. Some storylines in these first two games today, and I'm excited to watch them. Yeah, no, it, they're going to be fun series. I think everybody's kind of looking ahead at an Astros-Indians ALCS, which has kind of been the consensus since both teams have really Man. pulled away as the top two. Man, what about a Red Sox-Yankees? Now, that would be something. I mean, the history there, the rivalry. I don't um, think it would be as an entertaining of a series as Astros-Indians would be, but just the names, you know, the rivalry. It would be awesome. Uh, it, w- it would be crazy to see. I mean, all four of these teams, you know, as good of storylines as Twins and the Rockies were this year, the Diamondbacks and Yankees were absolutely better teams. And I think that, you know, in order to give the number one team, you know, the best matchup, the right teams won those wild card games. And so that's going to be the toughest competition. I don't think that the Dodgers wanted to face the D-backs. I don't think that the Indians wanted to face the Yankees, but that's who they've got. And I think it's going to make for some entertaining series. I mean, you saw the offense that were in those two games. I mean, there's going to be some runs scored this postseason. And I think that's one of the most intriguing because, you know, pitching wins championships. And it's all about, you know, getting through October with your rotation. But offenses, you know, they've come to play. And there might be some shorter outings, by starters, we're already seeing managers with some quick triggers um, pulling their starters from games. Uh, that might be a trend in this postseason that we could, you know, be seeing. Yeah, definitely. And then we want to talk about the NL games tomorrow. Yeah, Cubs and Nats. Uh, Strasburg versus Kyle Hendricks was just announced that Strasburg will be starting game one. Scherzer is going to depend on his hamstring, um, how he's feeling, whether or not he starts games two or three. But he says he's going to be starting one of those two. Um, Gio Gonzalez will take the other. Um, like I mentioned, the three finished top three in baseball reference war of the NL. So you can't really go wrong. Obviously, Scherzer stands out among those three as the best pitcher. But you can't go wrong with Steven Strasburg, especially the way he's been pitching lately. Um, I think he holds the edge over Kyle Hendricks. It's going to be at Nats Park. Um, that's going to be an exciting series. I think that the Cubs are a much more dangerous team than we thought midway through the season after you know that slow start. Um, they only had one all-star this year, but overall, this is, this is a deep team um, with teams who have gone the distance before. I mean, almost every player on the team is back from last year, so all these players know what it takes to win a World Series, and it's going to be a tough one for the Nats. And I think the- that it's going to be interesting in that series because the Nats have three of the five games at home. Uh, we really saw it with the Yankees the other night. They go down 3 nothing. Uh, in most places, you know, the, the crowd goes silent. They're starting to get shocked. Game's over, but Yankees fans got on their feet, and they got loud, and they were chanting, and then D.D. Gregorius uses that adrenaline and hits the three-run home run. I think for the Nats to win this series, a big factor, I know this is stupid because it's a game of baseball, it's not football home field advantage, but I think that crowd needs to be positive throughout. I think because at the end of the day, if the Cubs go up 3 nothing, Cubs go up 5 nothing even in the first couple innings of the game on Friday or the game on Saturday, the Nats fans need to stay positive. They need to be into it, and, and they need to, you know, bolster or bolt this team into the next round. And uh, they need to take advantage of that home field advantage because it's there for them to have. Absolutely, I think the pressures on this Nats team, especially with how they've, you know, fallen out of the playoffs in three straight appearances, um, been like great regular season teams, but never really able to put it together into a deep postseason run. Um, pressures on them to you, you know, especially yeah. with Harper and Murphy. Uh, hitting for agency after next season, the clock's ticking. Cubs have already won their World Series. They're trying to get another. Um, not as much pressure on them at all. 
and Nats are in front of their home crowds. That in itself is pressure. So overall, it's really on the Nats. Um, I think this series is in their hands, and it's going to depend on you know whether or not they crack. And it's very easy for their fans to not be positive about the series. They if they go down early, they're down one nothing in a series or two nothing in a series. It's really easy for the Nats fans to just be like, oh, not again. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen again. We're not going to win the series. They need to stay energized because they have the home field advantage. They need to make it hard for the Cubs to play in Washington, um, which I don't think they've done in the past. So, Well, that brings me back. I went to game one of the NLDS last year um, when the Nats played the Dodgers. And in the first inning, Max Scherzer on the mound. Everyone's feeling good. The crowd's energized. And Corey Seager hits a solo home run right off the bat. And it, just and quiet it, was, it was immediately like, great, here we go. So they actually ended up losing that game and then winning game two. Um, but it, both, uh, I went to both games, and they were both a little dry throughout the time until game two, Jose Lobatone hit a three-run home run that got pushed the Nats ahead, and they were able to tie the series. But that was really the first time in the series when um, there was a lot of life in the crowd, and it took until midway through game two for that to happen. So, Kevin, you're right. Like That can't take that long. Nats fans have been, you know, their attendance is iffy, um, especially a lot of people don't like that, like the standing throughout entire games. A lot of people want to sit throughout the time, which some fan bases are fine with, some fan bases aren't. But um, the Nats fan base is not very rambunctious, and I think that could come into play. Yeah, you got, I mean, you saw it with Chicago last year. They're, the fans were rowdy, they were loud, they were positive all, all through the playoffs, even down 3-1 to the Indians. I mean... I, I remember back when the when the Phillies went on their World Series run. You're going to get this in Philadelphia no matter what team we're talking about. You're going to get the rambunctious fans. But, you know, you just got to stay positive and be on your feet and be loud because we talk about this in football and other sports, the home field advantage really working in the home team's favor. But in baseball, I think the fans really have to create that because it's not just there naturally. So I think the Nats fans need to come up. Uh, show up ready to go and ready to cheer on their team because if they don't, I know this is kind of a stupid conversation, but I think it's huge, a huge factor in this series, um, especially with how I watch the Yankees really feed off their fans in the wildcard game. So uh, that will be something to watch in this series, no doubt. Absolutely. And then on the other side of things, the Dodgers and Diamondbacks, Kershaw on the mound for game one. Diamondbacks have not yet decided on a starter as both Granke and Robbie Ray pitched in that wild card game which got you know you know the victory but they might have shot themselves in the foot having to go with their three or four starters right off the bat um while i've talked about how good zach godley's been and massively underrated this year he's no clayton kershaw you'd much rather have Granky or ray on the mound against him so um i think dodgers are going to take this first game especially playing at home um they'll they'll win that first game i still think the diamondbacks do come around to win the series in the end i think i said diamondbacks in four um, which I still think is very valid, but at the same time, they're going to have Hugh Darvish going in game two, so it's going to be an uphill battle for sure, and they're going to need a few things to go their way. Yeah, uh, I I mean, we, we went opposite on this pick. I got the Dodgers winning this series, but I would not be surprised to see the Diamondbacks win this series. Um, I mean, you just look at the pitching matchups, it's going to be a great series uh, when, when Granke ends up matching up with whoever later in the series and Robbie Ray actually gets to pitch. But I think with Kershaw going up against uh, Godley, maybe, mm-hmm. in game one, uh, I think the Dodgers have a, a real advantage there, and I think they take game one. Yeah, or Taiwan Walker, one of the two, um, depending on who they decide to go with. But overall, they're not Clayton Kershaw. So mm-hmm. uh, I did say earlier that I'm not belittling the, the Diamondbacks. I, I actually picked them to win the World Series. 
um, ahead of this postseason. So um, I still think that they can stick it out for this series, even though I really disagreed with that decision to send Ray out there. But overall, this is a great team. It's a deep team offensively, defensively, um, on the mound. They Fernando Rodney's been an up-and-down closer, but overall it's been pretty decent lately. We're talking about a 40-year-old that still throws in the upper 90s. That's mm -hmm. something by itself, no matter how well he pitches. Exactly. So, um, like I said, up-and-down year, but overall he's a solid closer. Archie Bradley. I mean, we didn't even talk about him. He's pitched terrifically this year, and then, you know, with the big triple. Mm -hmm. Did you see his reaction to the triple? It was crazy. It It just made me think about how much I love baseball, like, just something like that happens. Relief pitcher just waxes a ball into the gap for a triple, gets up and gives like bases loaded triple. Gives up the most like has the most swag in his like celebration. It was awesome, and I, and, he, and, and that was another situation where the fans really fed off of the players, and, mm -hmm. and the Diamondbacks fans were loud, so they started chanting, "We want LA" towards the end of the game. So um, I'm excited to see that series. Yeah, the the offense was on full display, scoring like 11 runs, I think it was, in the game. Um, Bradley did give up two home runs the next inning. Uh, less can't be forgotten, but um, overall, he's, he's had been, a great he's year. Been, he's sure. only given up multiple home runs in a game once, and he uh, all season. So I wouldn't be too worried about him on the mound. Probably that adrenaline from hitting the triple, mm -hmm. or maybe he got winded running around the bases. But overall, I, I wouldn't be worried about him or the Diamondbacks in general. I think they're going to be just fine against the Dodgers, and we'll win in four games. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys next week about these matchups, uh, depending on how the series are are going by that time. By next, by this time next week, we'll be to a bunch of game five game fives in the NL. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited. Yeah, at that point, we might even know who will be playing in the championship series. So we thank you all for joining us. Um, let us know on Twitter what you think of our MVP, Cy Young, Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year picks. Um, if you think our picks for these games, right or wrong, just let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at Visitors Bullpen. I'm Matt Wyrick at uh, Matt Talk Sports. Kevin Haswell has at changed K his. K Haswell Sports. I got my sports journalism account, so I'm excited to launch that. Uh, please go give me a follow. And don't forget to follow Pure Sports Net on our Pure Sports Network, which is part of the. Uh, which Visitors Bullpen is part of their network, so uh, we're excited to get that launched in January 2018. Yep, that'll be when the website's coming, along with a um, hockey podcast that is in the works. Um, don't even Robertson. have a name. Yep, Tom Robertson is going to be one of, uh, one of the hosts there, so we're working on getting him a co-host and getting that set up. We have also have Kevin on Goal to Go, which is our football podcast um, with Connor McCarthy, who's been on the show a few times, so that is on Tuesdays. What time do you guys do that? Two o'clock on Tuesdays, mm -hmm. um, and also I'm gonna announce right now that I am moving over to an NBA podcast later this uh, later this fall. So uh, check me out there too. So uh, definitely exciting. Uh, Pure Sports Network is growing, and again, go subscribe and, and uh, review us on iTunes. Yep. All right, that's gonna wrap us up for today. Go Nats! Thank you all for joining us, and have a good one. Have a good one.